Oh, praise God. Glory to God. God is so good, church. Amen. I mean, God is awesome. I love, I love the King James where it says God is terrible. That's just a word that, you know, we don't use in our modern day and age, but that word terrible means awesome. And, um, oh man, I just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I hope you're excited. I am, you know, and, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Just pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, you are a mighty and an awesome God. You are our healer. You're our redeemer, Lord. You're our provider. You're our salvation, Lord God. You are Jehovah Jireh, Lord God. El Shaddai, Lord God. You are such a mighty and awesome God. There's no God like you today, Lord. There's no God ever like you. And, Father, I'm just asking you, Lord, the things that were shown to me in secret, Lord God, the things that I prayed, Lord God, the things that you revealed to me in your word, Lord God, Lord, the things that were deep down in my spirit, Lord, that honestly I don't even know if I have the words to say to describe, Lord God. I'm asking you, Father, that what you said in your word, Lord Jesus, he that believeth on me, out of him shall flow rivers of living water. I'm asking for that to be realized tonight, Lord God. I'm asking for you to flow through me, Lord Jesus, for your spirit to flow through me, for water to come forth, Lord, and to minister to your people today, Lord God, to encourage, to edify, to build up, Lord, to convict, Lord God. I cannot do that, Lord. It's your spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by my eloquent words. It's not by actions. It's not by anything that I can do, but it's by your Holy Ghost, Lord God, and so I'm asking you Lord God send your Holy Ghost here tonight and minister to your people and do what you want to do Lord and take your glory take your honor Lord God have thine own way Lord let your word have free course here tonight and be magnified tonight in the name of Jesus and we give you the glory and the honor and everyone that is with me and agrees say amen amen, amen. hallelujah God is so good church I, I just uh I'm just so excited, and so we're going to get into us get into this. If you can turn to Matthew 14, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, and I, if you heard me preach long enough, a lot of times I'll read that verse, the main point of the verse, uh, the, the main point of the message early on, and then I'm going to come back to it. Matthew 14, 28 says this, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. This is when Jesus was walking on the water. Peter saw him, and Peter said, Lord, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, Lord, if it's you, if it's really you, command me, bid me to come out to the water to you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The, the title of this message is Bid Me to Come to You on the Water. The Word of God says in Romans 12, verse 2, and you guys have heard this verse, it says, Be not conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. What does conform mean? Being, being brought under the patterns and the image of this world, the culture, the way that it thinks, the customs, the patterns, the behavior, the way of thinking. Don't be brought under that in this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the way that you by the way that you think. God wants to change the way that you and I think. 
And then he says that you may prove, that you may show, that you may know and understand what God's good and perfect and acceptable will is for you and for your life. How do I do that? Do I do that in my own understanding, in my own way of thinking? No. We cannot be brought under the way this world thinks. We cannot be brought under to to conform to the culture and the norms in this culture. Because the more that we see it's moving further and further away from God and the things of God and the word of God. When God is saying, I'm trying to break that. Not trying, I'm going to break that in you. As you get closer to me, I want you to conform less to this world and not conform at all to this world. But I want you to conform to the image of my son. And so every day that we live, everything that we go through, he is conforming us. The goal is to conform us to his son, Jesus. To follow the patterns of Jesus. To follow the ways of Jesus. To do the things that Jesus said to do and to do the things that he did. When I was, when, when, when we were, uh, when pastor called for that week of prayer and fasting and man, we were praying and, and, and just coming here. I came here one of the nights and whoo, praise God, man. I didn't know we had such a pastor said it. I'm not trying to honor a person. She's not even here right now. Mama Andrea, that lady, that sister can pray, man. I was so blessed by that. I said, praise God. We have another prayer warrior in the house. It's time for those mountain movers to come back. And she was praying, and there, all of us were here praying. But as I was praying, <clears throat> the Lord led me to pray, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, a very well-known scripture, right? It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh and, and, and blood. They're not flesh and bone. They're not a carnal thing. But the weapons that we have are mighty in God, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And not only to pull down those strongholds, but to cast down every imagination every imagination and everything that comes against the knowledge of God. And then it says, bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So that God wants to pull down strongholds. He wants to pull down imaginations. He wants to pull down everything that exalts itself above knowing who God is, knowing God. And then every, every thought, you, you, to bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. We're talking about renewing your mind. We're talking about how God changes the way we think. And as I was praying, God was showing me, I want you to pull down strongholds. And, and that, was, that was a couple weeks ago, but as I was studying and preparing this, I looked up these different words. Pull down literally means to pull down, but it also means to, dis, to demolish or to destroy to destroy those spiritual, mental strongholds. Destroy them. Demolish them. I love that word. Demolish them. And stronghold means strongholds, fortresses, or castles. So what that means is there are things that come in your life. Thoughts 
that get implanted, that, that the enemy brings and he builds, or even you and I can try to build fortresses and strongholds from just a thought. The word imaginations, as I was praying, that really stuck with me when I was praying. Logismos, logismos, that word imaginations, it means reasonings, thoughts, arguments. There was a version of the Bible that said even speculations, anything that is hostile to the Christian faith. So imaginations, any thoughts, any speculations, anything even that you're reasoning in your mind. Or speculations that you may make that is hostile to what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Now, when I was praying with the Lord, what I, I could sense in my spirit that the Lord was showing me was the Lord was showing me, you know, pray this verse and pray this for people specifically Pull down those strongholds in their lives. Pull down those imaginations in their lives. Pull down those thought processes and those ways that they have of thinking in their mind. Because the majority of us, church, in fact, all of us are being bombarded left and right as Christians. We're being bombarded and the enemy is bringing all kinds of thoughts. That's all that he wants to do. In fact, that's all he did with Eve. He just brought that thought to her mind. Did God really say? Right? So what, is he, so what, what has he done? He has found a way to magnify and to amplify the message and the thoughts that he's trying to bring before your mind so that they will take root in your mind. So everything that you look at in that TikTok, in that YouTube, in that Facebook, in that Instagram, in that Snapchat, everything, those are little thoughts that the devil's trying to bring to put in your mind. You got, you got to realize this is our warfare, the weapons of our warfare. You are in a warfare. And you can't, you can't be blind to think, you know what, everything that I have access to and everything that's so easily and readily, readily available to me is something that will edify me in my faith. You cannot be uh, lulled to sleep. We get lulled to sleep when we pull out our phones and we're just looking and entertaining ourselves or watching TV. We get lulled to sleep. And you cannot do that, especially in the day and age that we live in. I don't know what happened in Israel, how they breached that wall or that, that fence 15 times. I don't know what happened with the Iron Dome and why it wasn't working at that point in time. But somewhere, somehow, somebody fell asleep. Somebody fell asleep. Whether it was by choice or whether it was by accident, I don't know. But you see, and I'm not trying to diminish and belittle, but I'm taking that in terms and putting it in a spiritual context to show you when you fall asleep, what the enemy wants to do in your life. And the, day and, age, and the day and age that we're living in, we cannot fall asleep, church. We can't. I cannot. God help me. It's the tactic of Satan to set up in your mind beliefs that will limit you and, and, and thoughts that will bring doubt to you, beliefs that will limit what God wants to do in your life and what God wants to do through your life.
we get to do this, you know, with God. There's a verse that talks about us being co-laborers with God. That's an awesome thing. <clears throat> and so we need to be careful. We need to be careful what we're putting before our eyes. And I'm not talking about the obvious things that are wicked. I'm not talking about that. that that's blatantly sinful, right? I don't know everyone. Well, I think I know most of you that are here, and I believe that you love the Lord, and you want to please the Lord. You want to walk in the ways of the Lord. And so the things that are obviously sinful, get rid of them. Cut off your right hand. Don't let your right hand sin. Come on. That's elementary. That's elementary. Most of you here have been here for some time. Throw that garbage away. Get rid of it. We've heard it long enough from pastor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the little things that the enemy does, even the things that we sit down and entertain ourselves with. That may not even be sinful. But you know what? The enemy is so sly. Because even through that, there's messaging. There's messaging that he's put in there. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to capture your imagination. He's trying to capture your imagination. And when, when we sit down and we watch something, when we're on our phones, or even if you read or listen to things that are not necessarily of God, you need to be careful what you entertain yourself with. Because ultimately what the devil's trying to do and what he does through those things most of the time is he gets you focused on the carnality of life. He gets you focused on the flesh. He gets you focused on the things that are carnal. Jesus said, get thee behind me, saying, for you are not concerned about the things of God, but concerned about the things of man. If there's anybody that knows man and is concerned about pleasing man, it's Satan. It's Satan. And so when you sit down to watch something or to entertain yourself, be careful. Be careful that you're not giving Satan just a room and an opportunity to, ooh, to minister to your flesh. That's what he wants to do. Satan is interested in ministering to your flesh. And God is interested in ministering to you in the spirit. So be careful when that happens. As I was praying, God was saying, it was he was showing me, you need to be careful what you allow into your mind. Because your mind, like I said earlier, he wants to shift, Satan wants to shift your mind to focus on carnality. It's just like companies. It's just like businesses. You know, businesses use commercials, obviously, to sell you things, but they don't just use commercials to sell you those things, right? They don't just say, hey, here's a car, buy it. No, they got to they gotta have, like, this cool-looking actor or the, this, this good-looking woman driving it. They have to create an appetite in you for that food, for that thing, right? They have to create an appetite so that you'll say, ooh, I want that. I want that. And it's just like Satan to do that. He, he came to Eve to create an appetite. Right? So when you entertain yourself, when you, when, you, when you fill yourself with carnal things, what is that creating an appetite for? Is it creating an appetite for the things of God? Or is it creating an appetite to please my flesh? I'm talking about your mind. God's talking to you and he's talking to someone about your mind. What do you feed? your imagination with what do you feed your imagination with 
Is it feeding a carnal desire? Because when you feed your carnal desire, what you end up doing is you're feeding that part of yourself that lives by what you see. And the focus becomes, I'm living life by what I am seeing. I'm gratifying the lust of the eyes, right? To please that flesh. Jesus. And what the Lord wants us to do, what the Lord told us to do, he said in Colossians chapter 3, he said, If you then be risen with Christ, set your affections on things above where Christ sitteth, right? Set your mind, your thoughts, your affections, your desires where Christ sits. Like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, do not look at the things which are seen, but look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is wanting us to focus on the things that are unseen. He's wanting us to focus on the things that are eternal. He's wanting us to focus on him and his word and create an appetite for that. Because what will happen is those carnal imaginations, they don't just go in and come out. Oh, no, they stay in there. And the more that you feed that, the more that you start building that fortress. You start building a fortress you start building a stronghold. You start building that castle. And that's what he's talking about. What are you doing? What are you doing to feed and gratify that flesh? You guys with me? You guys are quiet tonight. God was showing me this. That as the more that you feed those imaginations and the more that you grow and increase those strongholds, what ends up happening is when those strongholds have a hold in your mind and in your life, when it comes to something spiritual that God is wanting you to do, those strongholds don't let you to progress and move forward. Those things are the imaginations and the thoughts and that limit you from moving forward in God. Because it says, bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. But if I have strongholds and imaginations and thoughts that come against the knowledge of God, when it comes time to do something that God wants me to do, when it comes time to pray, when it comes time to read the word, when it comes time to spend time with the Lord, my flesh is saying, oh, but I want to just take my ease and just enjoy TV and just watch something and spend, spend some time gratifying this flesh. Right? I, I know. I, maybe it's not true for you. It's true for me. You know what I notice? When there have been times where God's been telling, God has told me, I want you to fast and pray. I want you to fast away from TV. I want you to fast and get off that internet. And the less that I have that, the less strength and the less power that it has on me. The more you feed that, the stronger it's going to grow. You deal with strongholds, quit feeding it. Quit feeding it. Cut off the source. Because sometimes, sometimes there can come that point where it, it becomes, and this is the word, it becomes a high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And that becomes a pride and an arrogance. 
where when God says, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to go, and you're at Stater Brothers, and you're at Target, and God says, hey, you see that girl right there that has the purple hair and the rings and all that? Go and talk to her, and you're like, and it gets to the point where you're like, you're not saying this, but what you're saying is, God, I know better. No, I'm not going to do it. God, help me. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful when the Lord shows up and the Lord puts something in our hearts and we walk away from that. Because that begins, you know, what Satan wants to do when he brings, when he brings you, um, when he brings those imaginations and those thoughts, what he's trying to do is make every thought captive, but to the disobedience of Christ. To the disobedience of Christ. It's the spirit of Christ that leads you to go and do something. It's the spirit of Christ that says, come spend time with me in prayer. It's the spirit of Christ that says, hey, I want to speak to you. I want to talk to you. I want to reveal myself to you. It's the spirit of Christ that says, hey, you see that homeless person? You see that person on that, work, on that, on that job, that work? Go, go talk to them. Go minister to them. Go love on them. Even when they're cursing you, even when they're cursing my name, go love on them. And there's a fear that comes, and there's a reasoning that comes. Well, what if they report me to HR? Well, what if, you know, God says, hey, get up and stand up in this store or this camping ground or whatever and start preaching the gospel? Well, well what if they kick me out? Well, what if they don't? Why, why don't I ever think that? Well, what if they don't? Well, what if someone actually hears the word of God and is saved? Right? But the devil wants to bring all these imaginations and thoughts to bring fear and to hold you captive so that you don't do the things that God wants you to do. And you know what? That word uh, logismos, it's interesting because that word reasonings, reason, it's, it's something reasonable. Right? Well, hey, man, I don't want to get fired from my job. That's, that's, that seems reasonable. But God is saying, no, do it. Do it. You know, sometimes those thoughts will come. And, you know, there may be things even that <clears throat> God may want you to pray. Or, you, or, or there's a desire or there's a need or there's something. And I don't know about you, but there are times where, you know, I, I, I pray. But I, I pray what I think is reasonable. I, I don't want to obviously be greedy, but I pray what I think, Lord, this is, this is right. Right? Am I right? Or am I wrong? You know? And God is not subject to what I think is reasonable. He's not subject to that. You know, if there's a church, pastor, if there's a church building that's $10 million, and it seems unreasonable, so what? God's not subject to what we think is reasonable or what we think he can do. or He's not subject to that. You know how I know that? I'm going to brag on my God. Because, and and, and I, <laughs> I saw this post a couple days ago. Somebody said, you know what? God or, or people want you to be blessed. They just don't want you to be blessed better than they're blessed. 
And so I, I, I say this not because God is a good God. Okay? God is a good God. You know, we live in a house that, quite honestly, I don't have, how do I say this, Lord? I have no reason or no, bi- no business living in that house except that God made a way. Except that God made a way. I know you feel that about your house. You know, I know Brother Lorenzo and Amber, you guys are going to feel that about your house. You know, I have no business being in that house except for God. I'm going to tell you guys. That house was being sold for $1.2 million. And that, in my mind, is outrageous. I honestly felt wrong. I did. I felt wrong praying for that house for a second. I did. I'm like, God, this is ridiculous. This is out of control. You know, I, I, I feel guilty for that. And God's like, why are you going to feel guilty for something that I want to do for you? Why? You know? And we went to this house. I can't go through the whole thing, but God willing, another time I'll share. We went to this house. We walked out. We were like, man, that place just feels like home when we walked through it. And my son, Caleb, was like, yeah. And Crystal's like, yeah. You know, we walked out. It was $1.2 million, and we were and we were like, wow, that's a lot of money, man. That's, you know. And the kids were like, well, did you make an offer? And so we call our real estate agent. We, make a, we call our real estate agent, and... Um, we're like, hey, man, let's offer them like $300,000 less, you know, less or something. And so he called their agent, and their agent was like, uh, no, no, we can't accept that. I'm not even going to take your offer to the, to, the, to the seller because he'll get offended, and he's, he's a very proud man. And um, he won't even want to hear from you again. And we got in our truck. We prayed. We're like, God, if that's the house you want for us, then you're going to make a way. You know, you're going to make a way. Nothing's impossible with you. And long story short, <clears throat> God made a way. And to the glory of God, I didn't have a down payment. I didn't have a down payment. But God provided $275,000 as a down payment. I serve a big God. I serve a big God. If he did that for me, the Bible says plenty of times he's no respecter of persons, you know. But here's the greater thing. God, you're going to have to help me, Lord, because we moved into that house, and there's so many little details that, man, God is behind it all. There's so many details that I, I'll share with you later on, but I think the greatest detail is we moved into that house. It's strategically between the kids' school, elementary school and high school, like almost in the middle. And when we moved in, Caleb mows the lawn in the, in, the, in the front yard. And my wife, there was a lady that came up to my wife, I think at Costco or Target or something, and she said, hey, do you guys live on that house? Did you guys just move in? I recognize your son. He's the one that mows the lawn. And she said, yeah, I do. She's like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, uh, we live 
four houses down from you. We live in, so we see your son out there and, you know, whatever. And so we want to introduce ourselves and blah, blah, blah. Well, come to find out that her daughter, first of all, she is a baby Christian. She's only two years serving the Lord. Her parents don't know God. And not only that, but her daughter goes to the same school that my daughter goes to, and she's in the exact same grade as my daughter. You don't think for one second God knew that if we moved into that house that those people lived right there and that that young lady needed some spiritual mentoring and love? A hundred percent he did. We think it's about us and us. No, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about what God wants to do. It's about adding souls. And that's, that's just scratching the surface because I know there's more to come. I know there's more to come, but God help me. I need to go back to this. You know what? There's spiritual strongholds and things. And I'm going to tell you, there are some of you that have come to this place where, you know what? I'm addicted to this. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's pornography. I don't know if it's marijuana. I, I, I don't know if it's gossip. But you know, and God knows. And I know God gave me this to speak this to you. Because there are things that you have said, you know what? I've come to this altar. I repented. I failed like 5,000 times. And you've come to this point where you said, you know what? I can't do it. And you're right, you can't. I can't do it. But you have come to an acceptance that you're going to live with that addiction, that you're going to live with that sin. And that's wrong. You cannot allow the enemy to leave that thought in your mind and then you bring, build a stronghold around that because I'm going to tell you something. You really want to serve God? It's hard to serve God when you're chained. You can't do it. It's hard to go and lay hands on someone when you got chains on your hands. It's hard to cast out a devil out of someone when you're chained yourself. And God is saying, I'm ready to demolish those strongholds in your life. I'm ready to do that. That's why this word is coming forth to bring life to you. Some of you, you know what? It may be, it may be you know what? I have an issue with anger or I have an issue with being mean. I'm nice to people here, but when I go to work, man, I curse at people. God's ready to take that and destroy that and demolish that. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God through, the, through God to the pulling down of strongholds to demolish those fortresses in your life. You got to remember, church, we serve a mighty God. It was God that showed up to Abram, and when he said, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant, to, covenant with you, and he told them, he said, I am the Lord Almighty. I am El Shaddai. And he told them, walk perfect before me walk perfect before me you know i wasn't sure if i was going to share this but i'm going to share this you know we live in a time where you know god's grace is so wonderful it's so great but titus chapter 2 teaches us the grace of god is actually given to us so that we can deny the flesh so we could deny worldly lusts that's the grace of God so that you can live in victory. Not so that you can go to sin and say, God, I want your grace again. And go back to sin and say, God, I want your grace. No, the grace of God is given to you so that you could do something in the kingdom of God. So you could do the things that are impossible for you to do. 
That's what the grace of God is for. We're not sinners saved by grace. I'm a saint now. I'm a saint saved by grace. You're saints of God. You're sons and daughters of God. Where does it say in the word of God, I'm a sinner saved by grace? I know it talks about that we're, we're saved through grace and through faith, but not, that, not of ourselves. But God doesn't look at me and says, hey, he's still a sinner anymore. Heck, no, no, I'm sorry. But God says, no, you're covered under the blood. You're in, the, you're, you're in my son, Jesus. You know, God wants us to live. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's okay. God wants us to live in the impossible. God wants you. God wants this church to live in what's impossible. Those strongholds and those limitations will keep you focused on what's possible. But God is trying to take you into what's impossible. That's the crux. I got too excited. That's the crux. He wants to move you and I. Well, I guess I'm right in there. He wants to move you and I in the place, uh, into a place of praying the impossible, believing God for doing what's impossible. The carnality and Satan is there to keep you focused on just what's possible. He wants to focus on, he wants you to focus on what you can see and what's possible. And God is saying, no, I want to break those ways of thinking in your mind so that you're focused on praying the way that I do things. I want you, I want to do impossible things in you and I want to do impossible things through you. That's why Peter walked on water. The disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, why couldn't we cast out that devil? And he told them, I know that I tend to focus a lot of times on the fasting and the praying, and this kind only comes out by fasting and praying. But he said, the reason why this kind didn't come out was because of your unbelief. And it hit me. God, I can be there trying to cast out devils and still do it in unbelief. I could be going through the motions and praying for people and still have unbelief in my heart. And God is trying to break those strongholds of unbelief in your life and in your mind and in your heart. And then he told them, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. God is ready to pull down those strongholds of unbelief in your life. I love this. When the angel appeared to Mary and he, and he was talking about how she would bear a son and he told her about Elizabeth, how she was an old, she was, even though she was an old woman, how she was pregnant with John. Right? And he told her the same thing, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said to him, Mary said to the angel, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it according to thy word. You see, that's what God is trying to do, move us into. That we would be like Mary, that we would say, you know what, Lord? As you say, let it be. As you say, as you want it to happen, so let that happen. I am your servant. I'm your handmaid. I'm going to participate in what you're trying to do, what you want to do. God wants us to move into that. And as I was meditating and thinking and seeking God and just preparing for this message, I started to meditate on the things that are impossible and quite in the word of God. And quite honestly, it's like almost everything that happened that God did was impossible. 
We serve El Shaddai, the God who is the Almighty God. You may be faced with or dealing with an impossible situation. But you know what? That is what my God specializes in. That's what our God specializes in. And God is trying to break those strongholds and those molds and the way that the world thinks so that you will start focusing on, on him and focusing on his word. Because it's the word, the word that builds up your faith. It's the word that shows you and I what God is capable of doing, what God wants to do. But we fill ourselves with other things. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I want to create an appetite in you for me and for my word. And I started to think, Lord, what are those impossible things in your word? Man, number one, there was a, a, a virgin that gave birth to a son that was conceived by the Spirit of God. And this son became a man, and he was the son of God and the son of man. And he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross and three days rose again. That's impossible. But not in God. Some of you might think, well, Kevin, hey, that's Jesus. Okay, sure, I'll give you that. That's Jesus. He's, he is the son of God. But what about Abram? And what about Sarah? A man that was 100 years old and his wife 90 years old. Way past the years of childbearing. And God went to Abram before his son was born, and he said, you know what? I'm going to call you Abraham. You're not just an exalted father, but you're going to be a father of many nations. And he's looking around like, but I got no sons. <laughs> Nothing is impossible with God. What about, you know what? We can pick any Bible story. I'm just going to pick the ones that, that God showed me and spoke to me. What about the Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and they were enslaved to Pharaoh, a wicked king? Millions of slaves. And God sent an 80-year-old man to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's probably looking at it, look at you, old man. Age is nothing with God. Age is nothing with God. You know, one thing I'm learning from my dad and my mom, man, they're going harder for the Lord in their older age. They're going harder for the Lord. Age is nothing with God. God sent in an 80-year-old man who had a stuttering problem, and he told Pharaoh, let my people go, and God delivered them. But then God used this 80-year-old man, Moses, and he led them to the Red Sea, and the people were complaining, you brought us out here to die. And Moses said, see the salvation of the Lord. And God parted the Red Sea. And they came through those waters. And they came over to the other side. And it wasn't just to bring them to the other side. No. But when they looked back, that Red Sea closed on their, enemy, on, on their enemies, on the Egyptians. And God said, you'll never see them again anymore. That's what God wants to do. The strongholds that you have, God is wanting to say, you'll never see them anymore. You know, what about ah, Naaman? Naaman, he was a mighty man of valor, a warrior. He wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't a man of God. You know, in fact, Jesus even talked about 
during the time of the prophets that there was Naaman who was a leper. There were many lepers. And that leper went to the prophet Elisha, and Elisha didn't even go see him. Elisha said, hey, go down to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times, and you'll come up clean. And you know what? Naaman left, and he was upset. This prophet didn't even come and see me. And not only that, he was upset because, hey, there's way cleaner rivers in Damascus where I'm from, and you're telling me to go dip in this nasty, muddy Jordan River? And he almost, he almost let that stronghold of pride, that stronghold of arrogance, he almost let that stronghold keep him from his, his, his blessing, from his, uh, his miracle. But there were some men there that told him, Master, if he told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? Go do that. You know, sometimes God sends little messengers to us, hey, are you that big? Are you that great that you can't do something like that? You, are you that awesome? Are you that, that powerful? That, that, you have that much pride and that much arrogance and ego? That when God tells you to do something, you won't do it? But in doing it, Naaman went and he dipped seven times and his flesh came up. And the Bible says his flesh was like that of a baby. His skin was like that of a baby. That's impossible. But not with God. Cause that iron to come up, that's impossible. Iron doesn't float, that's impossible, but not with God. What about the widow at Zarephath? Right, we could, I could keep going on forever and ever. In fact, the word, of, the, the word of God says in John that if all the things that were written that Jesus did, if they were all written, there wouldn't be enough room to, in, in all the books in the world to contain them. And I was praying. I'm like, Lord, you did thousands of miracles. And I'm thinking, wait, wait, Lord, maybe you did millions of miracles. You know what? He is. He's still doing miracles today. He's still doing miracles today. Oh, God. You know, I, I, I took an Uber to work one day two weeks ago. I took, actually, a week from Monday, this past Monday, or two weeks from this upcoming Monday. It doesn't matter when it was. I took this Uber, and, oh, man, God set up a divine appointment. You know, a lot of times we're asking God, God, give me a divine appointment so that you can use me to talk to someone, right? God set up a divine appointment for me. God set up a divine appointment for me. This lady, this Uber driver had worship music on. She turned it down when I got it. I said, oh, no, no, leave it up. You could turn it back up. She said, oh, it's gospel music. I said, that's okay. I know. I'm a Christian. She said, oh, okay, good. You know, we start talking. She drove me from Upland to Irvine. So I had a good hour and 20 minutes to talk. And, man, we talked. Probably 70-year-old, 75-year-old late. No, maybe not. In her 70s. And she's, we're talking. And she ends up telling me that she grew up in a charismatic church in South Africa and that her mom, when she was a teenager, never heard about speaking in tongues. She was going to, um, oh, she was going to a Dutch Reformed church and never heard about speaking in tongues. It was never preached to her. But when she was a teenager, she was laying in, in, in a tent. I guess that's what they lived in, in a tent. And she could see there was like a hole and there was a sun, the sun and it was kind of coming through and she was kind of focusing on that. And as she was focusing on that, the Holy, the Holy Spirit hit her. And she started rolling in tongues. 
And she just kept rolling and praising God and rolling in tongues. <laughs> and her boyfriend at the time said, hey, this is, this is out of control. Put her in a car, drove her around, and she just kept speaking in tongues and rolling in tongues. And he ran out of gas. He stopped at a gas station. And she's rolling in tongues. And the serviceman comes up to put gas in, her, in his car, and he's listening. And he's saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And the boyfriend comes out. He said, you understand her? And, and, and he said, I do. And she said, he said, what is she saying? The boyfriend said, what is she saying? And the man said, he, she's saying, there are plenty of people here in South Africa that don't speak the language, but they speak your language. You need to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to tell me that miracles don't happen? You're going to tell me that God doesn't fill people with the Holy Ghost? You know, they started, grow, they started going to a charismatic church, an Assembly of God church, and there came a point where, where the lady that I was talking to, where she was um, during her years in university, where she was, uh, went back to visit her mom, and her mom had ovarian cancer. And there were good, ovarian or uter, uterus, one of the two, I can't remember, but she had cancer in her parts, you know, and... And she was going to have surgery to have a hysterectomy to, to, hysterectomy to remove that, right? To remove her uterus. And that week, that Sunday, they went to go to the church to pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they got hold of God. And the lady told me this black blob came out of my, my, my mom. This black blob just came out. And she didn't have cancer anymore. <laughs> Glory to God. You know what happens in our country? We have so many plan Bs. We have so many strongholds that we think if that doesn't work, this is what's going to work. And in other countries, they don't have those strongholds. And that's why those miracles are just happening left and right. And they're still happening today. Man, I left that car. We prayed. She <laughs> I left. I was trying to leave because I was late for a meeting at 9, and we arrived there right about 8.55, and I said, okay, sister, I invited her to church, God willing, Brunel, she's going to come one of these days. But I invited her to church. I said, here's the address, and she's like, oh, we're not done. She said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, amen, praise God. I prayed for her. We prayed, man. We got a hold of God. She said, Kevin, thank you. I said, thank you. She said, no, no, no. She said, you know what? I'm in here. I'm always, oh God, I'm always praying for God. I'm always praying for people I rarely get prayed for. And she said, I was blessed by having you pray for me. And I said, I was blessed by having you pray for me, sister. Oh God. I'm not even. Church, God is wanting us to move into the impossible. You know, it's time to get out of those strongholds. It's time for you to pray. God, break those strongholds in my life. Those thoughts and those things that I struggle with, I pull them down. I cast them down. I tear them down and demolish them in the name of Jesus. Oh, God. You know, church, you know, there's all these things that are written in the word of God that are impossible, like I said earlier. But you know, church, this is the heart of God. He, he delights himself 
He delights in giving you the kingdom is what the word of God says. He delights in giving you the kingdom. And sometimes we think we're not worthy. And sometimes we, and we, we're not. I'm not disagreeing. We're not. But he delights in giving it to you regardless. He delights in doing the impossible regardless. You know what? Uh, the, one of the stories that was impossible I shared in my life, this house that we got and so forth. And that's great. And that's, that's wonderful. And but greater than that, God is more interested in somebody's soul than he's interested in me giving a house that I want. You know, as I was reading and studying the word of God, the city of Jericho was an impossible and an impregnable city to get through. It was an impossible city to destroy. Because those walls were difficult. They couldn't, even if they took a hammer and a chisel, they couldn't break down those walls. But God said, you don't need any tools. He said, march around that city seven times. March around that city for seven days. And the walls came down. That's impossible. That's impossible, church. You know, that's what God is wanting to do in you through your prayer life. That's what God wants to do in that prayer closet, you and him alone. It's his word that says, call unto me and I will answer thee. And I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know. It's time for you, church, to get in that prayer closet and say, God, show me those great and mighty things I don't know. Show me those things that you want to do. Show me those Jericho walls that you want to tear down. Because you know what? We focus on the walls coming down, and we focus on the victory that God gave the Israelites. But guess what? There was a family in there. There was a family in there. There was a prostitute in there. Her name was Rahab, and she had a father and a mother. And oh, God. And not only did she have a father and a mother, but God saw to it that that Jericho wall would be destroyed so that she could be saved. And not only so that she could be saved, but so that she could be in the lineage of Jesus. It's so much bigger. It's so much greater, church. Oh, like Pastor Tom, Brother Tomber says, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. You know, if I ever felt a message from God in my spirit, if I ever felt a message from God burning in my bones, it was this message. And I prayed to God. God, the thing that you revealed to me in my spirit, God, don't let my words limit what you're trying to say to the people. Let the spirit of God flow and touch these people and what was in my spirit, in my spirit. Give it to them and capture their hearts. He wants to captivate your imagination. He wants to captivate the way that you think. He wants to captivate you so that you'll pray the impossible things to happen. You know, some of you guys, how does this apply to you today? You know, some of you, you're faced with impossible situations. And if you haven't been, I promise you, you will. You will. There will come a time where, the, where, where this government, where this city, where they'll say, hey, you can't pray. And that's an impossible situation. But what are you going to do then? We got to be like Daniel and pray. God, oh, God. We got to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and not bow down. You know, some of you are facing impossible situations. You have a husband that doesn't know God. You have a wife that doesn't know God. You have a financial situation that you got yourself into. 
There are all kinds of things that are impossible for you to get yourself out of, but not for God. Not with God. You have children that don't want anything to do with God, but I have a God who said he left the 99 for the one. I have a God who Jesus, his son, spoke about a prodigal son that said when, he, when the son came to himself. When the son came to himself. You know what? I was going to ask my dad and my mom if I could share this, but I'm going to share it. When I was a baby, I was six months old, and my dad was ready to leave my mom. My dad was, was ready to leave my mom. And he was going to divorce. They were going to, he was trying to get a divorce and leave her. And my mom and my grandma and my uncle talked to my dad. And they had prayer meetings. A pastor of that church would go to their house. Oh, God. They would go to their house and pray. And God got a hold of my dad. God got a hold of my dad. And the trajectory of my life and my brother's life was never, ever, ever what the devil meant or decide what he wanted, but it was what God wanted. God wants to do that in your house. God wants to have church in my house. He wants to have church in your house. And what I mean by that, that his presence would come down and break strongholds. You know, it was impossible for me as a son to look at my dad because my dad, in this sense, my dad didn't grow up with a godly father. He didn't grow up with a godly man. He didn't grow up with a, with a husband that showed, hey, this is how a husband, a godly husband treats his wife. This is how a godly father treats his, what, his, treats his children. My, my dad, my grandpa cursed the day that my, that my dad was born. And so to expect a man to come from that upbringing, to come from that experience, to now be saved and to teach his sons how to be a godly father, how to be a godly husband, is impossible, but not with my God. Not with our God. That is the God that we serve, El Shaddai, the almighty God. And you know what's so awesome? There came that point where my grandpa was 80 years old and my dad went and visited him and he was, he was close to dying. And it was my dad that went and witnessed to him. And the Lord saved my grandfather. After 80 years, after 80, 80 years of living in sin, 80 years of not knowing God, not knowing the mercy of God, God saved him. That's impossible, but not with my God. Not with my God. That's why that man on the cross, at the very last moment of his life, Jesus extended salvation because if they're still breathing, there's still hope for them to be saved. There's still hope for your dad. It doesn't matter if he's in prison. It doesn't matter what he's going through. There's still hope. 
You know, church, God is wanting to captivate you and I and our imaginations, and I got to wrap this up. But I read that story in Matthew about Jesus walking on water. And this is, this is where it comes to a head for you and I, church, because a lot of times we will ask God move mightily in these situations, and it's because we're faced with impossible situations, okay? It's, a, it's because, yes, I'm in this deep hole. Yes, I'm in this storm. Yes, I'm dealing with, the, with I'm losing my job, or, you know, I need a house or whatever, and God moves, and he wants to move. He does, and he will. He's faithful, He's going to do it. But the thing that just really, really just got to me, just, just a few months ago, I can't remember what it was, but when I was reading that, is they were in that storm, and here, the, here comes Jesus walking on that water. He's walking on that water. I preached this before. You know, the storms in your life, for you, is like you're going to drown. You're going to sink. But that's the thing that Jesus walks on top of. Those storms and those different, those are the things that Jesus walks on. And the thing that really jumped out to me was when Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out on the water. You know what, church? There were 12 disciples in that boat. There were 12 disciples in that boat, and they were all afraid. All of them were struck with fear. All of them felt like they were going to drown. But there was, and I'm not trying to glorify a man, but there was one disciple that said, Lord, if that's you, I want to be out there with you. I want to be out there. If that's you, bid me, command me, order me to come out on the water. And you know what, what the Lord is showing me and what he's, he's wanting to do in you is he's wanting to build you up, church. He's wanting to edify that faith, church. It's not of you, it's of him. So don't th think for one second that it's something that you get, that is, or that is something that you did yourself. But you know what? God is wanting to move you and I to that place to where we pray and we say, God, if that's you, bid me to come out on that water. Command me to come out of that water. Think about that. That water is, if you and I go on water, we sink. That is an impossibility. But Jesus walked on that water to show you and I that he is able, number one. And number two, he had Peter come out on that water to show you, you are able. You are able. God wants you to pray that. But don't just pray it to pray it, just, say, just to say something. Because you're going to be faced with that impossible situation. And I know, I was praying, and I, and I was reading the word, and it hit me. The Lord was like, pray that. And I said, oh. Right, it's like when Jared was preaching, and he was talking about that mantle and the weight of that mantle. And feeling that heaviness and that weight of that mantle. When you go before the Lord and you say, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on that water. No, you're going to face impossible situations. But you know what? 
It is intended and designed for you to face that so that you will be able to be there where Jesus is. You know, when I, when I was praying and I asked, Lord, bid me to come out of that water and that fear crept in, that stronghold was trying to come in. Don't pray that. Don't say that. The Lord was say, said to me, come, come, come. He showed up and he told them, be of good cheer, fear not. It is I. It is I. I'm the El Shaddai. I'm the Almighty God. Come. Come. And so this evening, I want to open up the, these altars. I know it's late church. Pastor, if you want to come up or however, whatever you want to do, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. I, I always go long. <laughs> And I appreciate that, but you know what? Your patience, but God is wanting to do awesome and mighty things, church. Let him do that in you. Pull down those strongholds. Cast down those imaginations, those high things that come against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity. We have weapons of warfare that are mighty. Some of you are dealing with impossible situations, and you know what? God wants to deliver, to deliver you not only through those things, but there's other people around them that are gonna around it that are gonna be blessed by it, like Rahab was. And some of you may not be going through anything right now. But if anything, if anything, when I look at the word of God and I see Jesus out on that water walking on that water when I look at the doing the impossible when I see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thrown into that fiery furnace you know what I see? I see Jesus on that water. I see Jesus in that fiery furnace. And you know what? If you love God and I love God and I know you do, I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where Jesus is. Don't you? If Jesus is walking on that water doing the impossible, don't you want to be there with him? If Jesus is in the fire, don't you want to be in the fire with him? We need to pray, church. That fire is coming. That storm is coming. But guess what? Jesus is in there. He's ready to meet you.